Welcome to the Walk and Talk Therapy Podcast. Today's episode is special and a little bit different because it is going to be answering some of the questions that I have been receiving from other therapists and therapy students about how to start a walk and talk therapy practice. So if you are here just for the walks that you've been receiving uh, by listening to these episodes, this may not be the best episode for you. You are more than welcome to tag along and listen and let that curiosity bloom and grow and maybe you have some questions of your own. But I just want to let everyone know that the intention of this episode is just, it is a little bit different and it is to help support other therapists and therapy students out there. So let's jump right in. First and foremost, I want to let everyone know I have been doing walk and talk therapy for a year. So while I've gained a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge and I've made tweaks in my own practice already after a year, I still am a beginner at this and I can only speak to what it's like being a therapist in Texas. So if you are listening from other places in the country or other places in the world, there might be a few things that you want to check in with your own licensing board about what's allowed and your own insurances. I am an LPC associate in Texas, which means that I am still under supervision by Sarah Osmer. She's an incredibly encouraging supervisor who has backed me in my journey as a walk and talk therapist. I also worked with other walk and talk therapists in my graduate internship. So for me, the introduction to walk and talk therapy came all the way back in graduate school. And I was really curious about it. So I just Googled walk and talk therapy in Dallas, Texas. And lo and behold, things popped up. Therapists pop up who were providing that. And for the people who've been like, is this available in my space? I would just encourage you to to Google it. I know that sounds probably really annoying, but you would be surprised at who is offering walk and talk in your own space if you want to try it out yourself as a client. Now, one of the main questions that I have gotten is around ethics. And so we're going to jump into that today. We're going to talk about ethics and consent forms. I'm going to give you a little overview on the questions I've had about insurance trainings. And then what are the boundaries? This is a big question that comes up often and something that I have had to address personally. And I don't know if I have the best answers, but hopefully you and I can begin this dialogue and maybe you get a little bit more answers or you can shoot me a DM and tell me what you figured out. And then Ultimately, I want to I want to talk to you about the part of you that wants to become a walk and talk therapist and maybe what part is resistant and why and how that part shows up in other parts of your life and other parts of your therapeutic practice. But before we jump into all of that, I would love to share my journey to walk and talk therapy and my why, because when I became a therapist, I did not think that I ever would be out walking on a trail with clients. It didn't cross my mind. And some of you know this, I went to graduate school for clinical mental health counseling and drama therapy. And drama therapy is an incredible tool um, and theory that I that I use in my work. It's a based in psychodynamic therapy. Um, it is an embodied therapy. And by being in school, having that dual program where you had really strong clinical counseling as well as this humanistic, uh, flexible, anti 
racism, anti-oppressive, anti-capitalist drama therapy work, I started to see that traditional talk therapy created a lot of barriers for people getting access to mental health care. And so that was in the back of my mind, but I knew that I did not want to work in a community setting. I did not want to work in a way that would lead to greater burnout on my part. And so I began to think about what parts of this practice that I am building can be truly accessible. I also know that for my clients who have had a either a bad experience with a therapist or they would not go to therapy if it was in a traditional way, the walk and talk option becomes this nice bridge for them. So if we don't continue to work together for the rest of their lives, or if they want to work with someone who has a different specialization, I like to think of walk and talk as this really beautiful entry point for people who might not be seeking out therapy if it looked otherwise. And for me, that was what accessibility could do and what accessibility meant in my practice. I also started deep in COVID and many of my clients um, had various immunocompromisations. Is that how you say that? Immunocompromisations. I think so. They were immunocompromised. And so being outdoors really was a better fit for them to um, keep up their mental and physical well-being. And so I just began researching what a walk and talk practice would look like. And there are a lot of resources out there. I will link some of them in the show notes if you want to take a look at folks who are doing ecotherapy or other therapists who have started a walk and talk practice. But when I knew that it was a possibility for me, I really dove in head first. I consumed as much as I could about what walk and talk therapy could mean, what populations that it could best serve. And I figured out how that would align with the therapeutic interventions and kind of frame that I already worked from. After I did research and started feeling excited and like walk and talk therapy was possible for me, I the first step that I took was building my consent form. Now, the consent form is not that different from your typical consent forms, but there are a few things that you want to take into consideration. Um, and then obviously, this is not legal advice. If you are looking to make your own consent form, please consult um, with your own um, legal team or whoever that you have that you can kind of bounce these ideas off of just to make sure everything is good and gravy for you. But when I was looking at the consent form, I wanted to make sure of a few things. One, that I outlined, obviously, that there is no liability um, issue when it comes to walking, that um, anyone who had a history of eating disorder would probably not qualify to be going on a walk unless we had talked about it beforehand. Uh, We talk in the consent that the client will always set the pace. It is not intended for exercise. And really for a lot of people, it would be helpful to have a doctor's note that would clear them for this type of therapy. So first and foremost, I wanted to take care of their physical well-being, making sure that we have a first aid kit um, close by, making sure that you are wearing the appropriate shoes and you're bringing water so you stay properly hydrated. I also in the consent form outline how long the trail is any sort of accessibility points, and if it's paved or not, if it is populated or not. So we cover kind of the physical wellness piece first in the consent form. 
The second piece of the consent form is this emotional piece, which is the acknowledgement that you are going to be out in public talking about some traumatic things in your life for some people. And what does that feel like? And how are you and your therapist going to how are you and your therapist going to navigate that and negotiate that before you even get on the trail? We talk about what happens if we run into someone that we know. We talk about uh, what happens if we need to take a break and how we can tune into that. I often make, you know, kind of check in with that along the way, but that's not in the consent form. But it's it, we just have this dialogue before we even get started of, of what the mental and emotional wellness will look like while we're on a walk. And to be truthful, walk and talk therapy is not for everybody. And so the clients that are seeking you out for a walk and talk therapy, so far, all of the ones who've been reaching out to me are very understanding and comfortable with being out in public in that sort of way. And we answer any questions before then. This brings me, um, there's there's a few more things with consent forms, um, but I can't, I can't give you all my secrets for free. I could, I might email me. Uh, (laughs) The second part of this, uh, when we're talking about consent forms that gets brought up is HIPAA. And I just want to clarify here, HIPAA is what protects patient records. So there is not a HIPAA violation of being out in public with a client knowing that what we are meeting for is therapy. We are not meeting for coffee. We are not going to each other's birthday parties. We are meeting in the outdoor office for a specific reason and to meet a specific goal. Now, I do not take insurance and I don't know how, I can't speak to how insurance companies would um, reimburse for that. I would probably just code it as an individual session or a group session or a couple session, whoever you're working with. When I get comments or questions regarding confidentiality, this is really a non-issue. Confidentiality, we uh, are required to keep it, even if we're on a walk. So on a walk, I'm not going to break confidentiality by sharing with anyone what I'm doing on that walk, why we're walking. I'm not announcing that we're in a therapy session. It, it's it's not an issue at all um, for confidentiality to be broken. We're also empowering our clients to share what they want to share. We discuss, okay, if we walk by someone, if we happen to walk by someone, are we going to feel most comfortable not saying anything and pausing until they pass? Some clients want to keep on going, but that's not a break of confidentiality. And I will be very transparent with you. I would say... of my clients who have chosen to go on walk and talk therapy have no problem continuing to walk, to talk, to cry, even as people are coming. Occasionally, we might sit down on a bench if there's something that we really want to process in a slower and more intentional way, or we might set our session up where we know that we're going to sit the whole time and maybe walk it out uh, the last half or the last 20 minutes. But Otherwise, it really hasn't come up as being an issue. If somebody's seeking you out for a walk and talk, they know that they're going to be in public with people around. 
The next thing that I want to talk about is trainings. I get so many questions about, did you do a specific training for walk and talk therapy? And the answer is no. I have not done a specific training for walk and talk therapy. I have not found one. I have consumed literature and have resources on ecotherapy and the benefits of ecotherapy, but there has not been a training that I've seen for how to do walk and talk therapy. Now, there might be things that you're thinking, how do I do this? Oh my gosh, it's outside. It's so different. It's not in a controlled space. And if I could just like ease your mind, it is really not that different from being in your office. If you are a relational therapist, if you are a person first humanistic therapist, this is not going to be different for you. It actually moves things along a little bit faster. And we have to do, you know, my due diligence, I've spoken about this on other platforms, is slowing down because the walking can generate um, a really quick um, release. And so sometimes that is that can be overwhelming or overstimulating or dysregulating. And so I really do have to tune in um, maybe a little bit more um, because there are things, you know, there's cars and there's people and there's dogs. Tune in more to my client and make sure that I'm staying very, very present to make sure that they, we don't kind of blow past their tolerance or their threshold. Now, there are ways that it is different from meeting a client in your office. There is this boundaries piece that I got some questions about that come up because unlike at the office, your client probably is going to see your car. They're going to see what you drive. I drive a beat up little Honda. They see it. I have feelings about it, you know, but we move on. They see your car. You see their car. Uh, They see you in a more casual outfit. Typically for me, it's Texas. It's 105 degrees outside. I'll talk about weather in a minute, Um, but it's hot. And so I can't wear the same thing that I'd wear in the office. These are things that I also discuss on the consultation call and managing the expectations about why walk and talk will look different from being in a therapy office. Um, I do that with clients who have had therapists before and ones that are brand new to therapy and just setting the expectation that this is a little bit different. There is also um, a bit more communication between me and my clients when it comes to weather. So if it is raining, if it is snowing, if it's icy, if it's storming, if it is unsafe, we are going to communicate a little bit more about if we're going to meet or if we're going to reschedule or if we're going just to pop into virtual. So those are a couple of the boundary pieces that do look a little different for me. It's not uncomfortable. It's not unmanageable. I actually really like it because I think it models a humanity that I did not receive when I was in personal counseling. Um, And I don't believe that it actually gets in the way of the therapeutic work that my clients and I are doing. Let's talk about weather though. So One of the most common questions I get is, how do you work when it's so hot outside? And the simple answer is, you just do it. I always check in with clients. I never want it to be some sort of safety issue for them or for myself. But if it's over 100, we're going to check in. Do we still want to meet? Do we want to pop over to virtual? I have not had a client cancel yet. Um, I would say for the client, it is... Uh, you know, they bring their water. It's only for an hour. It's a little bit um, less stressful on their bodies. I also check in afterwards. Was that too hot? Was that too hot to concentrate? Do you want to sit down next time? 
the answer is no. They want to keep walking. They're really enjoying it. Um, what I have to check in, it, what, what I have to check in on is myself. I will find if I have three sessions in a row walking and I have not properly hydrated the night before or I'm not wearing the correct shoes, then I am not going to be on my best game. And so really, I have to check in with myself, book out, you know, have a 13... 13, have a 30 minute break in between each client just to refresh, go sit in my air conditioned car. But heat has not been a problem at all, not in the way that I anticipated. In the same vein, I'm in Texas, so this is different. Winters are very mild. I don't know that it got much below 30 degrees all winter long here. And so we just bundled up and we walked. I've walked when it's sprinkling outside. We wear a raincoat and an umbrella. And really the rule of thumb that I keep and also talk about with my clients is we do not want to walk when it is not going to be a therapeutic um, success or anything if the weather is becoming a distraction or a hindrance to the work that we're doing. Um, I trust them to advocate for themselves in many ways. I also often check in. But so far, I've been doing this for a year now. I have not had cancellations because of weather unless there's been a thunder and lightning storm. And then we just switched to virtual. This style of therapy and providing therapy in this way may not be for you and it may not be for every client. I have about a 60-40 caseload. 60% of my clients are walk and talk, 40% are virtual. They know that they are always welcome to book a walk and talk session. And in fact, that's happened a few times, especially working with clients who might have some um, agoraphobia, having some anxieties around being, you know, background people after COVID. It has been a really great thing for me to just have as a tool in my toolbox and to offer to clients, even if they don't take me up on it every single week. If I could go back and do anything differently, I think it would be being less afraid when I got started. I have found so much joy and so much more pleasure in my work by being able to offer a service that is in line with who I am and how I show up in the world and knowing that I'm attracting clients that also really deeply benefit from the outdoor, from the walk, from the more casual um, therapeutic experience. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And if you are finding yourself going like, gosh, you know, okay, well, what about insurance? And what about consent forms? And what about this? And what about that? And kind of getting, you know, a little bit in the minutiae of it all. I just want you to be curious about what, what part is that? What part of you is the part that really needs every answer to be had, every T to be crossed, every I to be dotted before you jump in? And how is that resistance limiting you not only from starting the practice that you want to have, but from other areas in your life? And it's okay. I have that. I had that resistance too. For me, the thing that I kept saying, no, 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 I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not sure is what are other therapists going to think about me? What are they going to think if I'm not sitting in my office with my cashmere sweater, with my hot cup of tea? What are they going to think when I tell people that I'm doing walk and talk? They're going to take me less seriously. They are going to think that it's unethical. They are going, you know, whatever story I told in my head. And when I got very clear on what was the block um, between me running a practice the way that I wanted to be running it and realizing it 
that it kind of was my my people pleasing and my need to be impressive to others, it was a lot easier for me to silence those voices that are not mine and none of my business and get really focused on what it is that I wanted to be doing, make sure that I can be excellent at what it is that I'm doing, which is walk and talk therapy, and continue to grow and learn more about um, different interventions that we can utilize while we're out on a trail. And so if you're feeling any of that insecurity, that is normal. It's so normal. Um, But I just would say if this is something that you want to do and it speaks to you, it has been the best thing that I have done. And any sort of anxiety I had about people not wanting walk and talk therapy, my phone not ringing if I only offer walk and talk therapy, none of that has actually come to fruition. That brings me to the marketing piece. I played around with a few things there. I started a TikTok. I started an Instagram. The Instagram has not been successful at all. TikTok, I've gotten a little bit more traction. But truly, my first 10 clients were from Psychology Today and from the Facebook pages. I'm sure you have them where you are, where I say, you know, I'm. this is what I'm offering. And then I do consultation calls. And on the consultation call, I really lay out for clients, hey, I can offer you virtual or I can offer you walk and talk. Those are your two options. So if you're wanting in person, I can tell you a little bit more about why um, walk and talk might be beneficial for you or not. And I'm happy to provide, you know, if you want a traditional office setting, I'm happy to provide that um, resource for you. But I I lay it out very clearly in the consent and more or not in the consent in the uh, consultation. And more often than not, people are like, hey, never heard of it before, but would love to try it. So if there's fear that clients won't be coming your way if you are offering this or you don't know how to market it. It really can just feed into your consultation call. It can feed into your Psychology Today page or your website. I would just say if you, the more you lead with confidence and the more you say, this is what I offer and this is what I'm good at, the more aligned clients are going to be coming your way for that specific thing, which is walk and talk therapy. So if you already have a practice and you are wondering what clients of mine could I maybe offer this service to, which I would highly suggest, you don't have to start from square one. If you already have a caseload, you already have clients and you want to offer walks to them, I would say look at three things. Anybody in your population who is feeling insecure about themselves Uh, any anxiety about being around other people, walks are a great therapeutic tool to get them comfortable in person. And you can process in the here and now about what's coming up for them while they're on that walk. Two, if you have a client who has some trauma that they have not processed yet with you and you're feeling like you're really, really close, but you're not there yet, I would totally suggest taking them on a walk, getting them in tune with their bodies, help them drop into their bodies and start somatically experiencing the outdoors as a way for you to start unpacking and kind of untangling the trauma that exists there. And three, I love taking teens on walks. Walking is a natural coping skill that it is important to practice, but the chances of them practicing it outside of session or because you said so is it can be very, very slim. So any it doesn't have to be teens, but anyone who you know is having some struggles with motivation, with consistency, with taking care of themselves in a a holistic way, inviting them on a walk and checking in with them. What was it like to anticipate this walk? 
on the walk? What is it like to move your body in this way? Where do you feel tension? Where do you feel relaxed? Afterwards, checking in. What do you think the benefit of that walk was for you? What is different than when we are in the office? Often this walk jumpstarts people's desire to walk even when they're at home, which we know is unbelievably beneficial. They're not only getting vitamin D, they are regulating their emotions, they are de-stressing themselves. It's all good things. So knowing that the walk with you kind of is a little bit of a handhold to get them started on their own kind of holistic wellness work when they're outside of session, I would totally recommend it for those clients that you're already working with. I am just pumped, y'all. I'm just pumped that there's a bunch of people out there that are interested in walk and talk therapy and providing it because I don't think therapy has to look one way. Like I said, I'm a drama therapist. I work with expressive artists. I work with yoga therapists. And I think the more that we can offer and the more that we can meet our clients where they are, the healthier that we can all become and the healthier we can be if we are working in a way that feeds our soul. And that is really, I keep using the word aligned, it's annoying. But if we can work in a way that we want to be working, it only benefits our clients, you know, more. And because we are modeling this sense of self-attunement that is really, really, really important. Y'all know this. Okay, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me a DM. I am Emily Unscripted on TikTok and on Instagram. You can send me an email at emilypfaith at gmail.com. I'll put all of this in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. And I hope that you listen to the rest of this podcast, which is just a guided walk that is meant to be support for folks who are already in therapy, but not serve as therapy, um, obviously. So um, feel free to send this to your clients or use it yourself. And let me know how I can support you. This excites me so much that there was even a call to do this episode in the first place. And so I'd be happy to do anything else to help you get started. Mm-hmm.